Hello, everybody, and a very warm welcome back to Widowed AF. You're here with Rosie and John. Yay, slick that was. Um, you may hear in my voice that I'm um, still suffering from my Jane Austen esque consumption type <laughs> illness that took me down for the whole of Christmas. I imagine many of you were bitten by the same bug and it was bloody horrible. I sent again lots of messages about people in the same situation yeah. now. Yeah, and my poor dad's gone down with it now and I feel terrible, but I didn't actually go anywhere near him over Christmas because I was so ill. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually said all I'm going to talk about in this episode is how ill I've been because that's all I talk about at the moment <laughs> because I'm not a very good patient, so I apologise. I won't spend the entire episode discussing my cough. Um, but it, suffice to say, it did involve an out-of-hours trip to the doctors on Christmas Day, which was a nice festive treat for us, wasn't it? Really efficient, actually. Really, really efficient. I have to say, we were staying at a hotel for Christmas this year near Watford because my parents live in Hertfordshire. And uh, so we're all in this hotel and I called the concierge and said, do you have a, a house doctor? Because I'm really not very well. I can't breathe. You know, I could tell there was some, I needed antibiotics. And they said, yes, yes, madam, of course, £500. <laughs> so I went, no, no, man, I'm just going to ring 111. And um, they were brilliant. And they had an appointment for me at Garston Out of Hours Doctors yep. within 45 minutes. And we were seen almost immediately. Um, poor doctor sat on her own. I really felt it was the most depressing doctor's surgery, wasn't it? And the, the, the guy doing the, um, the reception job. Yeah. <laughs> He'd taken the shift, but was regretting his life choices. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think he was coming to the end of his shift. Um, but they and they they uh, sent me off some antibiotics, and and it was all all very efficient. So yes, I had a very positive experience with the NHS this Christmas. Less so with actual Christmas, um, because I I genuinely was really quite poorly, and I don't know. You feel this enormous extra weight when you're a widowed parent or when you have bereaved children to give them the best life and I've had to work very hard over the last six years on not trying to give them a perfect life because that doesn't exist mm. and but Christmas is a biggie it is it, it particularly if your late partner enjoyed Christmas which both of ours did yeah, didn't they? Yeah. so we've struggled over this this was our fifth Christmas together and we've struggled no, no sorry it was fifth Christmas without them um <clears throat> excuse me there you go there's my cough for evidence and We've really struggled to try and find our place in the kind of Christmas world yeah. because every nativity, every carol service, um, every acknowledgement that another year is going to pass without them in it is very difficult. So we've done various things. We've got horribly drunk at your house one year where we didn't even eat the dinner. Um, <laughs> we, we left it out on the table so it ruined the next day. The cat and dog ate the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we've been to Mexico because we got married and we wanted to go on honeymoon. So we took the kids to Mexico for Christmas and we've done the sea swim last year. Yeah. And then this year we thought, right, we'll go to this very nice hotel with my parents because they celebrated their golden wedding in, in December too. Um, and actually I think had, had I been well, it would have been a really, really fantastic Christmas because you don't have to do anything. No, <laughs> no, you don't actually. Um, but and actually, if you were to say to any of the children, did you have a nice Christmas? They would say yes. Yeah, they loved it. They had a great time. There was so much laid on for them and my parents, who they love more than anybody else on this planet. And a special thanks to your parents for oh. um, stepping up and you know, making a Christmas for the kids and themselves. Well, you know, Do you know what? They were incredible because the idea was that we'd be in this kind of double family room and then they had a room and then my brother had a room. 
and they swapped with us and they just kind of swooped in and and dealt and provided a Christmas for the kids. So, yeah. well, yes, we are very grateful and um, we will probably do something in the new year with them to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I saw them for longer than five minutes. Um, but anyway, enough about me. Um, I hope you guys are all right. Um, we've done it. We've got through Christmas 2023. Yeah. We made it. Just a new year to roll over now. Yeah. And I mean, we were just talking actually before we came out to the studio about this. Do you want to? You're about to have it's hang on. Oh, the door's just blown open. This is more professionalism from the uh, Gilmoss Production House. No ghost, no ghost. Um, <coughs> yes, we were saying how each year that they don't exist in is it, it feels significant. Yeah, yeah. And I said 20, 2020 hit me probably harder than the others did. And I think that was the changing decade. Yeah. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a weird concept. I've just gone through five years. You've been through five years early in the year. So this passage of time. It's, um, mm. And it's finding how to sort of mark it without almost – I'm reluctant to force my children to grieve. I, I spoke to a friend of mine called Jess, and her interview is going to come out um, in the new year. And one of the things we discussed was how to um, commemorate or uh, acknowledge significant dates. And she said as a child, she felt very pressured Mm. to grieve on specific days. And I've taken that on board a bit, really. And traditionally, um, because Ben's body has never been found, for those of you who are new to the podcast, shocker, sorry, Um, it's he is um, tragically somewhere in the channel. And I wasn't able to bury him, cremate him or have a real a funeral. So what I do have is a stone at a church. Now I'm not actually religious, um, I, I, but it felt um, significant and had the gravitas, I suppose, for what he deserved. So yeah. I held a service in church and there's a stone, a memory stone, and it simply has his name and date and it, and it says how wonderful life was with you in the world. And it's somewhere I, used to live very near to um and now it's a 45 to an hour minute it's for an hour drive and it it, we just don't go as often and i wanted to go over christmas and take a decoration and i i I don't know whether it's for me whether it's for how people will perceive the stone the thought of it sitting there naked and unloved um i don't know or whether it's just become something that we do it as a unit and we all have gone haven't we yeah and it's it's acknowledgement Mm. So I think because we weren't able to go at Christmas, we're going to go tomorrow. Um, yeah. Depending on if I'm completely better or not, I may go in the sea. Um, wobbly bits will be displayed for all if it happens, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I, that kind of ramble about how to acknowledge your your person at Christmas and New Year, it, I'm, I suppose what I'm trying to say is it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they don't know. And it's how, what feels right for you. Yeah. And, Sometimes on the anniversary, I go to the church and and lay a, a flower or something, and sometimes I don't. It depends how I feel. But one thing we're considering doing is we live um, we live in West Morning, which is a really nice village in Kent, and we there's a park that I bought dog most days, and the kids go to, and we're thinking of having a bench put in for Ben yeah. and for Sarah. Yeah. Just because I like the idea of the children having somewhere that they don't have to drive forty five minutes to to go and sit and think about them. And let's be honest, he's not there. No. There's some stuff buried. There's some, you know, letters and things, but he's not there. His, if there's any essence, <laughs> I can't use the word essence. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's deteriorated. How many minutes in? <laughs> put, 
Well, <laughs> we're back. I mean, I believe Sarah's blown all over with me, so, yeah. <laughs> it was me trying so, to get the earnings to the pin, John. Let me say that in English again. She has blown all over Whitby Bay. Oh, yeah. It was you, a little bit windy, wasn't it? It was when you kind of handed me this enormous urn so that you could comfort Holly. And I'm still in my dry robe with the bright pink lining, flapping in the wind because I've broken the zip, holding this enormous silver urn, trying to shove it into a public bin and it won't fit. <laughs> Just thinking, how, how did this happen? <laughs> the strange situation you get in as a widow, eh? But anyway, we, we really wanted to, while we're here, um, uh, have a quick recap on Dan's episode. We have put out another episode since. So, um, but it, it just was illness. I, I, I couldn't speak. So there was, I mean, it might have been nice for you lot to have a quiet episode, but you wouldn't <laughs> have got much from me. So Dan Frost, um, he's a fan of the show. He's a really, really top guy, actually. Yeah. We like him a lot. And, um, his story, has an awful lot of parallels with yours. An awful lot, yeah. Mm, when I was listening, when I because I interviewed him and and I was thinking, thinking, oh my god, when John listens back to this, like it's going to break him, because there was even things like being sent home from hospital with a gastro bug. And, yeah. I mean, I'll let you talk a little bit because this is much more your area. But it, um, if you have, well, I always say this, but if you haven't listened to Dan's episode, his wife uh, she died from bowel cancer, and it was a a protracted illness um an undignified illness and it was really brave of him to talk about it the way he did and he's a really good dad you can just tell can't you and he's really yeah. trying to make the world better so anyway i'll stop blowing smoke up his backside and let you talk <laughs> uh, well i mean you've said most of it already but yet his um whilst our journeys were sim, sim similar um i'm having real trouble speaking today whilst, whilst our journeys were similar his was over a much greater length of time Whereas mine was five and a half months yeah. from start to finish. Um, we could have probably found out sooner, but it still would have only been a year. As, you know, she was tested in the October the year, year before, but the the similarities and the honesty at which he spoke, um, I remember finishing the edit and just, um, so I wanted to reach out and give him a hug, if I'm honest. So, yeah. So, Dan, when I meet you, I do owe you a hug. And he's not um, a hugger, Dan, so brace. If you're not a hugger, so we'll, do, we'll just, what were they, what did the kids call them? The, uh, uh, marshmallow. Marshmallow. Yeah, where were they talking? Um, but it was incredibly brave, and I think it's quite good to get more male voices. Yeah, I do. Uh, in context, and it, it just goes to show all this research that we're doing into cancer and treatments and everything else, and the, the path's still, still the same. Still the, undignified mm. um, horror show. And there's no other way of saying it because the, the, you know, the, the end bit, um, the humans shouldn't have to witness it and humans shouldn't really have to go through, go th live through it. Um, and you can hear sort of throughout the, where he talks about his wife in, like so many of the mothers and fathers we who have died, you know, the, the way they try and just cling on and do that little bit more for the children and try yeah. and be present and that clinging on and desperation to give them what you know that they're going to lose. And I can't imagine being in that position and knowing that I wasn't going to see my kids grow up, that I was going to cause them unimaginable pain you, without meaning to. Yeah. Honestly, if, if you put your mind there, especially while you're um, you know, cancer adjacent, it will send you insane. Oh, then you, you don't really have the time to think about that. Um, yeah. It's probably more in reflection afterwards of like, Jesus Christ. 
And I imagine as well that whilst they're in the eye of the storm, as it were, there is so much going on. I yeah. can hear something. It's the rain. Oh, is it? Mm. Oh, I thought it. Sorry, I, I thought. If, was... if you can hear this, you, uh, uh, it's the rain. I could open the. Uh... Blinds. But. Well, it's a good job. We did, I was going to take the kids for a walk. What a shame. We'll have to put the iPads out. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually um, New Year's Eve as we're recording this. We're going to try and get this out today. So um, I'm, I don't know whether any of you have got um, wild, exciting, glamorous plans for New Year, but we'll probably be listening to the rain in our pajamas and in bed by 10. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll probably be asleep by the chimes, if I'm honest. Yeah, I don't think I've stayed up till midnight in as long as I can remember. I still stay away past eight. Yeah, just if I'm asleep on the sofa, like an old... old snoring, old snoring. <laughs> but anyway, back to back to Dan. Um, and the, the other thing that struck me about his interview was, was how incredibly honest he was. Um, we don't get very many male voices, so when we do get them on, it's, um, it's nice to hear him talking so honestly and open about their experience and what they've been through and what life looks like afterwards. There was one quote, actually, that I've just read in my notes. And it's, I'm going to read it because it's made my blood go cold. Um, and he said, we'd been beaten. There's nothing more we could do. Mm. And that, that acceptance that all hope has gone, it's, it's, we've been there. Lots of you will have been there in some capacity or other, whether whether you're widowed or not. But that hope leaving you is, it's like your part of your soul leaves you. And mm. um, and I think it takes a long time to come back. And I found reclaiming hope very difficult and yeah. believing that there would be a future for me, for my kids, for Ben's family, you know, for, for the the ripple effect that it, that these deaths have. Um, and I suppose the hope is coming back now. It is. I've, I've been much better mentally. My emotional kind of roller coaster has steadied a little. Um, and I hope that continues, but it's given me, I'm going into 2024 very cautiously because <laughs> I'm the twat that wrote this is going to be our year on 2018 um but I have I have got some hope I have I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for what next year will bring mm. um I have in this year achieved more than I ever thought possible and I've done it whilst I've been battling incredibly difficult mental battles yeah and this is not me blowing smoke up my own arm. Well, it is a bit, but I'm excited to see what will happen next year once I've done the scary bit, once I've turned that microphone on, once I've recorded the hundred episodes. Once, what, what net? Once the confidence grows, yeah. and I'm, and I'm excited for our kids. You know, they're, they're going into a new year, and they're happy, and they're well, and they're settled, and they're secure. So life looks very, very different to how it looked even a year ago for us. Yeah, yeah, it feels it feels like for the first time that light that's at the end of the tunnel isn't just a freight train bringing more shit. To yeah, like, I mean, you know, um, let's, but let's let's not get too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Touch wood. Um, but um, <coughs> yes, and you do feel a little bit afraid to look forward to things because you you don't know what's coming around the corner. None of us do, and. But to live under the anticipation of dread is a very, it's a very tiring way to live. Yeah. It's exhausting. We, we've talked about this kind of fight or flight and the cortisol and 
it's actually can make you sick. It can make you mm. exhausted. So if you, as you gradually shed that fear, which will take time, um, it takes therapy, it takes talking, it takes all sorts of things. But as you start to become less afraid of what's coming around the corner, then that's when the optimism can sort of creep in through the cracks. Yeah. 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 That's definitely what it is. And, and, and we've chosen a very um, direct path through this because mm. we, we, we latched on to um, as Julia Samuels writes in that book. Which one? Yes, it is because the book's right in front of me. I can actually see it on your shelf. Judy Samuel, Judy Samuel, Judy Samuel the, OBE, who I interviewed on my podcast. Uh, yeah, the grief works. That's the one, the best-selling author and a counsellor to Princess Diana, I think. Yes, yeah, that one. <laughs> yes, that one. Um, you know, grief is a process that we need to go through as humans, and people get stuck in them, and um, and it takes years to get out of the chicken and wine phase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes you can be out of it in what it feels like three months when you're not really, or you can think you're doing really, really well, and then you take a break, and then you get steamrolled by it. Yeah, uh, it, this um, is exactly it, actually, because yeah. I know it, there's been times in my grief where I've thought, I actually feel all right, you know, I'm, I might stop counselling, I'm, I'm really good, and then I will spend three days in bed staring yeah. at a wall because my husband's dead. And it will happen, and I anticipate it happening again because I – Turned 42 last year. Unbelievable, I know. And Ben was 42 when he died. And I found that difficult. Well, on the 2nd of March, I'm 43. Mm-hmm. Then I'm officially longer than him. Yeah. I've yes. been Orion longer than him. Um, <laughs> and that's... <laughs> and it's just... It's, you know, we can talk about anything seriously, can we? <laughs> Sorry, it's good like, yeah, I'm, long, I'm longer than you. Look, in the stretch now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but that... You know, and I don't know how that's going to land. So I think being aware that things could have a negative impact or a, a, a potentially a big impact. You could have some, as I say to the kids, some big feelings. Yeah. And that those big feelings probably won't destroy you. And no. I think that's the import. The feelings cannot destroy you. Yeah, that's, I, was, I was literally just about to say that. It's the thing that I'm starting to realise is like, if you're upset and you're feeling like shit, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It does matter because you're feeling like shit. But it doesn't mean you're going to feel that shit forever. It's not going to hurt, and it will, and it will pass. And, and generally, when you acknowledge that mm-hmm. you're feeling that way, it's like, okay, I'm going to feel this way, but mm-hmm. actually tomorrow I'm going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And I think a little wallowing sometimes is actually okay. And yeah. I personally know that if I get up, get out of the house, have a wash, I haven't been anywhere near the ice bath. You won't be surprised to hear because ill. Um, but under normal circumstances, I have my structure and my routine, and that helps me keep. You know, I'm going to say semi-sane. Um, but things like Christmas can really yeah. affect that because your schedule is is disrupted. And particularly for the neurodivergence among us, you know, that Christmas is a, is, is a massive sensory overload. So I guess what we're trying to say is whatever you're feeling, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you feel nothing, it's okay. If you feel joy and delight at being around people on Christmas and New Year, that's okay. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Please do that. But also, if you spent the whole day on Christmas Day staring at a wall, crying, that's okay. Or if you started with joys of spring and ended staring at a wall, crying, um, that's also okay because that's that's the way it can go. Sometimes. And also, let's be honest: is there a family in the UK at Christmas where somebody didn't have a cry or have a row? I had a row mm. with my mum by eight, ten, or something. 
<laughs> got stormed out. I think I, I think I coughed and wet myself. If I'm completely honest, but let's. You were you were quite ill. You were, you you really should have been out there on Christmas Day. To be honest. It was Christmas morning, and I you know, it was Christmas. We had lunch booked at two on Christmas Day, and sorry, I've, I realise this is off topic, but I'll, I'll carry on. And I'm sitting on the floor, and I've got one of those big hair brush dryer things, and I've got. Um, drying my hair and I'm sweating and I'm sweating and my arms I can't hold the hair dry and I did half my hair and I just but sitting in my pants burst into tears just went, I can't do it <laughs> and you're just like just get get back into bed and I'll deal with it um and I suppose in that moment I was very grateful for you as well because if I'd been ill on my own at Christmas with my kids and to be that ill that would have been and for, that would have been horrible. Yeah. And it's very isolating. It's, and actually, that's just quickly before we go, because we, we were going to do a quick one today. But um, if you are struggling and you're unwell and you're on your own and you want to reach out, um, your friends will want to help you. Yes. You might feel like they don't um, or your community will want to help you. And I had to do it when the kids were little. I went down with a vomiting bug one day. <coughs> Hangover. I know, I think it actually was a vomiting bug. And I put on Facebook, could somebody take my children to school for me today? And they did. And they did. Not a stranger, obviously. <laughs> <Just a random. laughs> you, you, can't, you can't get strangers to look after your kids. That's weird. But people, as a general rule, are desperate to help you. So but they, need to they know don't know what to do. To do. Yeah. yeah. If you tell them what to do, they will generally do it. On our Instagram, there is a list of things you can suggest or they can do to help. Um, and perhaps we'll reshare that at some point because it is quite a useful, um, not entirely definitive list, but quite a useful list of do's and don'ts when somebody's grieving actually it's a good tangent um, we'll convert it to our new website oh how smooth jonathan mm. so uh many of you may have noticed that the website's been changing probably daily over the Xmas period that's me john um, i don't think anybody's been checking our website daily darling i know i know i know <laughs> but i can live i can live in the dream i can live in the dream i used to have a website that people kept daily <laughs> you still watch it john now we've uh, talked about grief oh well, yeah true um so it it's changing quite a lot. I'm trying to build it in the open rather than just um, doing a big launch on you guys. I'm going to drip it all out as it arrives. Um, so you can listen to the podcast, you can read the articles, you can join the newsletter. And we're going to slowly expand it into more of a resource that you can um, use yourself, pass to friends, if you're looking after people who are grieving. We're talking one-stop widow shop. Yes. Should we just call it one-stop widow shop? Oh, my God. Um, and I actually want to butt in there because we've, Got our first bit of merchandise. Oh yes, you have. Yes. yes, we have some small enamel bird pins. They, um, I'm not actually wearing one. They're very beautiful and very lovely. And I'm going to do an Instagram post, and the first five people to comment on my post will get one sent. You don't have to do any sharing, tagging, liking, or any of that business, because okay. I don't want I to. Good, I was going to bribe the sign up to the newsletter. That's, oh, that's okay. my new one. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Subscribe, okay. like, subscribe, give us a review. Join the newsletter, even though I've not posted anything on the newsletter, but I will do soon, I promise. And you will be the first to hear about Woodstock um, as well, because we are we are going ahead. We're doing it. We have um, had a, quite, uh, a, lot, a lot of conversations about whether it's too much for me to take on to put on a full festival in nine months' time. Mm -hmm. And the decision really is probably yes. So I'm going to, or we're going to scale. Oh, it's our first one. It, yeah, it is. We did the first one in our garden. So this one we're going to hopefully do at a local uh, field. Um, uh, and it will be limited ticket numbers because just because of licensing and council rules yeah. and, and space and things. So we're going to do a fairly 
smallish one this year. Yeah. And if it works, Glastonbury's up for competition next year. Mm. No, the year after. Oh my God. Well, I don't even know what year it is. Well, we're still 23, aren't we? But on that note of my um, slightly chest infection induced delirium, I think we will leave you to it. Um, and we won't be putting an episode out on Monday because we are one ahead. So you'll, but Lisa's episode is ready to listen. It's out there. Yeah, it's out. And we will talk about it next Friday. And I think I've covered all bases, but a very, I want to say a happy new year because that's what I wish for you all. I wish for you all a happy new year. Um, but we'll settle for peace. I wish you a peaceful new year and whatever you're feeling, you're not alone.